Okay, today is February the 24th, 2011. Remember, tomorrow night is our Friday night at the movies. Great movie, Secrets of somebody. <laughs> uh, yeah, what's his first name? Jonathan? Jonathan, uh, I think maybe Jonathan Sperry. Yeah, Jonathan Sperry. And it, the title doesn't tell much. But if you know any teenagers that uh, you can reach and convince them to come, be well worth their while. It's one of, the, one of the better ones that I've seen that can reach them. And this Sunday, uh, we have one more Sunday before the communion Sunday, right? So you can start getting with Mary and signing up and so forth. Okay, let's prepare ourselves in our usual fashion. We'll have a few moments of silent prayer. Rebound if necessary. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you how you continually bless us and this church. It's very much undeserved. However, we see your faithfulness and your provision and your protection and giving us everything that we need in order to accomplish the goals that you have set for each one of us. We recognize that we can't fulfill your plan in ignorance, that it requires knowledge, so we pray that you will help us to focus and concentrate tonight so that we will be better able to represent you in a dark world. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. We are in a part of Scripture that is... Somewhat difficult, somewhat complicated. A lot of controversy is, surrounds the subject that we are looking at in Second Thessalonians chapter 2. It has to do with when the rapture is going to take place. The rapture itself is a controversial issue. There are people who say that it's a damnable lie leading people down the road to hell. That's what some have said. I read a booklet this week that alleged that. There are those who think that there's not going to be a rapture, that that is just all symbolic. A preterist would think that this has already taken place. We're already in the millennium. All kinds of really weird ideas. And as I've studied this closer with more scrutiny than I ever have before. And what really elates me is the deeper that you dig, the more confident you are of who and what God is, and this is His Word. And it all connects and it all makes sense. Satan is the great deceiver. And what is the biggest, one of the biggest problems is all of the counterfeit doctrines, the lies, the falsehoods, that are out there. And sometimes there's truth that is mixed with lies that makes it hard to be able to determine what's true and what's not. And so many people just really don't care when it comes to eschatology. They think, well, that's, I'm not going to be here when the, when the uh, tribulation occurs, so why, why do I care what's, what it's all about? And I, I think I'll start, this is a little bit out of the chronology of how I was going to unfold the message tonight. But we can know for absolute certain how important eschatology is because in the verse that we're going to cover tonight, Paul is going to tell these Thessalonian believers, actually somewhat rebuking them, that he's already told, us, told them these things. And he's talking about things of an eschatological nature, the things of prophecy that has not been fulfilled. And when you think that these were really young believers, I don't mean age-wise, I mean they had not been believers long, Paul couldn't spend a lot of time with them. And yet he spent the precious time that he did have covering eschatology, the rapture, the tribulation, the day of the Lord, all these things in detail. And so he is somewhat rebuking them because he says, I've already told you these things. You should know these things. Actually what he's saying is, how come you got bent out of shape? How come you fell for these lies? This is what is, you see in between the lies. Now, it's mild. However, he is telling them that they already know it. 
So if you talk, start to talk to someone, if someone says, hey, what you learning in church lately? Well, we're going over the timing of the rapture. And somebody, oh, well, you know, the rapture, who knows? It could happen any time. We're not going to be here. Blah, blah, blah. Just, they don't know enough Scripture to understand that every jot and every tittle of God's Word is important or it wouldn't be there. Even when you get into the genealogy and who begat who, every bit of it is important. Now, I'm not rebuking you, any of you, because you're the hardcore group. You're here on a Thursday night. And it's, I'm just, yes, I'm kind of warning you, if that's, that's probably too strong a word, that some of what we are going to be going over tonight is technical. It's kind of an intricate type thing. But if you hang in there and concentrate, you're going to say, wow. Even when you get to the fine points of God's Word, it all connects, it comes together, and it makes sense. And that's where we're going. So if you'll take your Bibles and open to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. We'll start with verse 3. By the way, we just finished uh, verse 3, except for the last three words. Four words. Second Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 3. Let no one in any way deceive you. Well, that's the big problem. People are deceived. For it will not come. You'll notice that that's in italics. It had to be inserted for us to understand. The Greek doesn't have it there. And we spent some time showing this could refer to the rapture. But most certainly, at least we know that it's, it refers to the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is, well, I guess I'll just do this right off the bat. This will kind of orient us to the time frame. Time frame is really important for us right now when we're studying this because we're talking about the time frame of the rapture. So here we have the cross, which occurred in the Jewish age. Fifty days after Christ was resurrected, the church age began. And the day of the Lord, you see this broad day of the Lord? The day of the Lord is given in, in a host of, of scriptures. And it's broken into two parts. The judgment phase, which is the first seven years. Then you have the narrow sense of the day of the Lord, which is second advent. And then the blessing phase that lasts a thousand years. One of the things that we've looked at that's very important is to determine two things. Because in 2 Thessalonians 2.3, it says that the day of the Lord will not begin until the apostasy or the departure occurs first and the son of lawlessness is revealed. These things have to happen before the day of the Lord begins. And we also know that the day of the Lord is going to begin in the judgment phase, days of darkness. This is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Most of that ch chapter is comparing us, believers, with unbelievers refers to us as sons of light. For we are all sons of light that are believers. And we are not of the darkness. It's the judgment phase is reserved for Israel mainly. That's the last seven years of Israel's history that was proclaimed in Daniel chapter 9. It's referred to as Daniel's 70th week. 69 weeks has already taken place. The last seven uh, years is the last week. And that is what we normally refer to as the tribulation. So the, the day of the Lord lasts a thousand seven days approximately. That's the, the, the broad day of the Lord. No, I'm saying the, the broad day of the Lord lasts a thousand and seven years because, see, it goes from here all the way to here. That's the broad day. You see, sometimes when you go to the Bible and it's talking about the... the the day of the Lord, for instance, in Second Peter, it, it's talking about the day of the Lord 
where the earth is going to be uh, destroyed. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And that's referred to as the day of the Lord. That's way over here at the, at the uh, very end of the broad day of the Lord. Sometimes it refers to the day of the Lord as having great blessing. But sometimes it talks about the day of the Lord as being darkness judgment. So when we're talking about the day of the Lord, we're talking about you have to look at the context of the Scripture and see what is it talking about. Is it talking about the judgment phase, which lasts seven years, which is also known as Daniel's 70th week, which is also known as the tribulation. You got that? That's these seven years right here. We normally refer to it as the tribulation. But it's also referred to as Daniel's 70th week. And it's also known as the judgment phase of the day of the Lord. Y'all got that? So when we're in verse 3 and it says, And it will not come until the apostasy comes first and the son of lawlessness is revealed, the man of lawlessness, then it, we, we know that it's important to determine where is that going to take place. There are those who allege that the revealing of the son of the man of lawlessness is going to take place in the middle of the seven years, this judgment phase. Now, do you all remember why it's important as to whether the When we say the son of the man of lawlessness, I'll just use Antichrist because that's who it's referring to. Is Antichrist going to be be revealed here here in the middle of the seven seventieth weeks, the seventh week, or is he going to be revealed up here at the beginning? And why does it make any difference? It makes a tremendous amount of difference because if Antichrist is not revealed until here, see they say when when Antichrist goes into the temple and pronounces himself as God. It's known as the abomination of desolation, which is referred to in Daniel chapter 9, verse 27. When this, when this occurs, they say that's when he's being revealed. Now, there's, a, there's at least there's several problems with that, but one of them, do you remember one of them that just should come right to mind? In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 3, it's talking about the day of the Lord will come at a time when they're saying peace and safety. Look at see these all these sealed judgments here. These are the beginning of birth pains. All these things are going to take place before you even get to the midpoint of the day of, of the Lord of the judgment phase. So no one here is going to be saying peace and safety. Furthermore, if Antichrist is not revealed until here, it means that this line here would move over to here and the day of the Lord would begin over here. Which would mean that it would be possible, theoretically, for believers who are church age to go through the first three and a half years of the rapture. We know that believers are not going to go, church age believers are not going to go through the day of the Lord. The judgment, the judgment phase. Any part of it, really. Well, we'll be, I'll take that back. We're coming back at the second advent with Christ. We'll be in the blessing phase. But we won't have one day in the day of the Lord. The darkness phase. See, that's why this is complicated, is because you have to, you have to be specific each time. If you just start throwing gen, uh, generalities out there, you're not going to get it. You have to, you have to stay focused, see. Do you know why? We, and, and most theologians would agree with this. Even those who say that Antichrist isn't revealed to here still say that church-age believers aren't going to go through the day of the Lord. They just don't put the beginning of it here. They put it over here. And if they put it over here, it means that we could go all the way through here, but the day of the Lord begins here, and we have to go through three and a half years of the tribulation. Now, I'm asking you, you should be able to just pop this right out. Why do most theologians, and even those who are mixed up and think that actually the day of the Lord begins here, why is everyone pretty well agreed that church-age believers do not have to go through the day of the Lord? Do you know why? 
What did we just study? What Why in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and especially in chapter 2, what was the problem? The Thessalonians were, they were having a meltdown. They thought that they had missed the rapture. Let's just read it in the first two verses here. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 1. Now we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to Him. Some translations don't say, and our gathering together to Him. It says, even our gathering together to Him. Now, what would you say that event is referring to? It has to be the rapture. Some, some mistakenly say, no, this is talking about the second advent. Why can it not be referring to the second advent? Because we're not going to be gathered together then. We're all, already going to be with Him. We are coming back with Him. We're gathered together at the rapture. So, what is the subject matter here that he's, carrying, that he's bringing out? He's talking about the rapture. So he says, with regards to this, the, our Lord the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to Him, that you may not be quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed either by a spirit or a message or a letter as if it from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. So what can we gather from this? They were shaken because they thought that they were in the day of the Lord. And that would mean that they... Missed the rapture. Either that or there is no rapture. Paul was just giving a big, a big uh, line, a big story. He lied to them and they were upset about this whole deal. And when Paul responds by saying uh, that you not be quickly shaken, notice the quickly, that's a little barb there. That's a little rebuke. He's saying, I t I'm reading behind the lines. He taught them in detail about this. How come you're so quickly shaken? I told you about all this. And he says, it doesn't matter if it's a spirit, a message, if someone tells you verbally, or even if it's a letter, as if it was from us. There was a pseudo letter that alleged it came from Paul and told them they were in the day of the Lord. And so they were all bent out of shape about this. But the day of the Lord has come. Now, that puts it in context, verse 3, let no one in any way deceive you, now, he's telling them, this is why you should not be shaken and don't let anybody deceive you because there's three things that have to happen before the day of the Lord begins. Now, we got two of them in verse 3. The third one is in verse 6. And maybe we'll get that tonight. And if I, But I'm not going to rush this. I'm guilty of sometimes I get excited when I'm talking about eschatology. And I've got all this straight in my mind, and I can just, you know, shoot it out like this. But sometimes I need to slow down and make sure that you know the terms that I that I'm using. When I see when I say the the day of the Lord, if somebody just says the day of the Lord, your first thought should be, okay, are you talking about the broad day that is encapsulating a thousand seven years, the whole thing? Are you talking about just that thousand years of blessing or the first seven years, the beginning of birth pangs, the judgment phase, the darkness phase of the day of the Lord? Which one are you talking about? In Zephaniah and Joel, there are a few verses that talk about the day of the Lord and it's only talking about boop, this, that one day, that one instant when, when Christ is returning and sometimes it's referred to as the terrible day of the Lord. Now, it's not going to be terrible for us, but for unbelievers, it's going to be terrible. And now I'm going, to, I'm going to bring in another doctrine that you should already know and be able to relate to this. At the second advent, that terrible day of the Lord that is mentioned in Joel and Zephaniah is when they're going to experience the baptism of fire. They are going to be identified with fire symbolically as judgment. When you go to Matthew chapter 24 and Christ was telling the disciples, it, it, in that day is when there'll be two in the mill grinding. One will be taken and the other one will be left. There will be two in the bed. One will be taken one will be left and so forth. He's describing the day of the Lord, the terrible day of the Lord, this point right here. He is not talking about the rapture. In fact, Matthew 24 is not talking about the rapture. 
The only places that Christ alludes to uh, the rapture is uh, there's a few places. One is in John 14. One is in John 16. Uh, He's just explaining to them that He's going away, but I have not deserted you. I'm coming back. This is what He says in, in John 14. So, during this time, if, if, the, if the Antichrist is revealed here, it means that it would be possible for church-age believers to have to go through half of the tribulation, the seven, day, uh, seven years. Now, I said hypothetically, because that ain't going to happen. It can't happen for a number of reasons, but I don't want to get off course. I'm going to stay with my screen here the beginning of birth pain starts with the first seal the first seal judgment is what describes the revelation of antichrist which is here at the very beginning not over here in the middle some think that this is the sixth seal is when the abomination of desolation is going to take place but it's the first seal. Do you remember? Do I need to go through this again to tell you? You go to... Well, just go in your Bibles. Go and go. We're, we're talking about how can we nail this down that the Antichrist is going to be revealed here and why it's important. Because if he's revealed here, the day of the Lord starts here. We're not going to be part of the day of the Lord, so we've got to be out of here before that. That's what the apostasy, which comes from the word ophistomy, which means departure, a spatial removal. You're here, now you're over there. The departure has to happen. And the son of, the son of lawlessness or the man of lawlessness has to be revealed. Now I'm saying it's beginning here and it's important that he be revealed here because if he's revealed here, it means that we're going to be out here. It's impossible for us to go through even one day of the judgment phase of the day of the Lord. Now turn in the Bible to Revelation chapter 6, verse 1, and this is where we're going to nail it. You see, there's some that say, from this point, when the day of the Lord begins, or the, not the day of the Lord, the Daniel 70th week, the seven-year period, they say this really isn't part of the day of the Lord because this is where God actually starts pouring His wrath out. He doesn't pour it out over here. This is just man and Satan that's bringing on the judgment here. Really, God is not going to get involved with that part of it till we get here. Do you understand what I'm saying? Do you all get that? There's an argument that says the man of lawlessness is not revealed to here. The day of the Lord does not begin into here because in Revelation chapter 6 is the first time in Revelation where they actually use the word wrath. And therefore they say that means that God's wrath doesn't start till here. This is man's wrath and Satan's wrath. So it, that means that the day of the Lord is going to begin here and the church can go through all this. Well, let me just say that just because Revelation does not use the word wrath until you get to the sixth seal, which would be the midpoint of the tribulation, does not mean that God is not pouring out His wrath. One illustration of this is in Genesis. The whole book of Genesis, you don't find the word wrath. And yet you have the flood. I would say that's God's wrath, wouldn't you? Sodom and Gomorrah, I would say that's God's wrath. So that's... That's just an arbitrary thing to throw, that can throw you off. Now, we're going to Revelation chapter 6, which is known as the first seal. See, you have the seal judgments, which I have here, and I've shown you about where they take place. And then the seventh seal actually opens up the trumpet judgments. That's what this is. And the seventh trumpet opens up the bowl judgments. And the bowl judgments are going to end right in here when Christ returns. You got that? Yes, Pete. Uh, the seven, uh, six seals, mm-hmm. the people who hold the mid, mid-trib mm-hmm. thing, uh, uh, the day of the Lord starts, then they, they shift those seals over to that mid-trib uh, after the desolation of abomination. They shift this all over. No, no, they don't do that. 
what they do, they say these things take place, especially, let's say, the first five seals, but none of this is brought on by God. This is just man and Satan. So God's wrath hasn't actually been poured out and is not going to until the sixth seal, which is here. And this is when they say God starts to get involved. You understand? It's not that they shift them over here. It's just that they say, no, they, they're going to take place. This is the beginning of birth pains. You can't argue that away. But they say all this destruction, all this suffering, all this is going to be perpetrated by man and Satan. Uh, God's not in it. And, he, and that's why the day of the Lord isn't going to start till over here because this is when God really actually starts to get in it because what is it? The day of the what? Lord. Now, I'm going to show you in the very first thing, right? first pop out of the box how this does not hold water, this, this idea. Because if you look in Revelation chapter 6, verse 1, it says, this is John, and he's describing what he saw. He says, now I saw when the Lamb broke one of the seven seals. Who is the Lamb? Jesus Christ. What is he doing? He's breaking the first seal. This is the first seal judgment right here. Nothing can take place until Jesus Christ breaks that seal. He is the instigator to allow and bring this about. In fact, we're going to find in our scriptures tonight, if I just will get on with it, that Antichrist cannot even be revealed. He can't even come on the scene until it's God's time. And it was given to him. You, over and over, in Revelation chapter 13, it was saying, and it was given to him. It was given to him. It was given him because it's in God's time. God is in control of history. It's not like Satan and, and, and God are battling and duking this thing out. And it's finally going to culminate here at the end where Satan is able to do this, this, and that. No. Satan can't do anything until Jesus Christ breaks that seal which starts unleashing judgment. In fact, as we're going to see in verse 6, Antichrist cannot even be revealed until the restrainer is moved, removed. That too has to happen. So you see he is in, who is in charge. And if Jesus Christ is break, breaking the seal to unleash this wrath, then I would say that he's very much involved in this. It's the Lamb that's doing it. So, and I saw when the Lamb broke the, one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying, as with a loud voice of thunder, come, as if come up here. Uh, and so he's, he's going to, um, verse 2, And I looked, and behold, a white horse. Let's just look at that for a moment. Remember? Revelation chapter 19, when Jesus Christ is revealed at the second advent, when he breaks through the clouds, what is he going to be on? A white horse. When he is what? Revealed. Second advent. In fact, historically speaking, uh, people who have been... When that reveals, he's talking about political peace. That he is prominent. speaks of him being... He went out... But it's going to show what we find is that... Just turn to 1 Thessalonians. I want you to see this so you'll be in your mind. Turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Chapter 5. See, this whole teaching of chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians 3. While they are saying, and see, then things upon a woman, which shall I do that. And they come upon her suddenly. Start out painful here. This is... It get worse and worse, and by the time you get over here, by the whole judgment, it is hard later. All of this is given us within a few things. So, first, I place the earth to be in chaos. I can have to feel this time, right? However, I know what happened to millions of people. They cried the saloon. We're no longer afraid that the aliens are going to come and select, or the aliens are going to take us over, or whatever they're going to be saying. And when they're celebrating, they're going to be accepting anti-Atheist Christ. Wham! The thirst. When you go to some of the Old Testament, it's all going to take place. We know how horrible it's going to be. So all these things are going to... Uh, uh, Tim's saying is true, and this and that before the end. Why is part as when part takes place, the rapture, we're out of here. Some days part where we're already in that, aren't we? But there will be a departure from the truth because after the rapture, there's not, only, there's not going to be anybody when the rapture takes place that has accepted the truth because there's not going to be anything, anybody left but unbelievers. 
Now, there will be no untold numbers of people who, when the rapture occurs, are going to slap their forehead and say, uh-oh, that kook that lived over next to me was going to Bible class all the time? I guess they were right after all. But it's too late. What did 1 Thessalonians 5, 3? They will not escape. Ladies, once you start having birth pangs, what can you do? Huh? I never had birth pangs, and I don't believe I ever will. Thank goodness. Thank the Lord. But um, they, they, they start happening, and you're along for the ride, aren't you? And you're not, you can't escape them. You can't say, I don't think I like this. Well, <laughs> tough. So, well, you know what? I had First Thessalonians uh, 5, 2 and 3 right here. That's in this thing here. So once the, once the Lord comes, all unbelievers are going to be off the earth. When the rapture occurs, all believers are going to be gone. Here, all unbelievers are going to be gone. You got that? And we start out here, the Lord reigning for a thousand years. This GWT here is the great white throne. That's the, at the end of human history. I saw somebody write the other day. They said, well, people in the millennium are going to be unable to sin. And I thought, where? And this person is published. And I think, how do they let these guys out of the woods and publish these guys? I don't understand it. Because at the end, right along in here, there's going to be a Gog, a, a, a Magog revolution. And it says that there's going to be so many that are going to join Satan. He's going to be led out of his pit, out of his cell, the bottomless pit. And he's going to come back to earth and foment a re revolution. It's going to say that the numbers that join him are like the numbers of sand on the seashore. That's how many is going to join him. So between here, when there's nothing but believers that start, and here, something happens. You ever notice why it says, and, God, and Jesus Christ will rule with a rod of iron? It's because He's not going to put up with any nonsense. People are going to be required, every nation, to bring tribute to Israel every year. And you know what happens if they don't do it? No rain. Try that on for size for a couple of years and see if you don't try to start getting some tribute together. All this... 20 years nonsense when you commit a capital crime, that's, that's going to be gone. It's going, as bad as this is, this is going to be the counterpart to it. This is going to be more wonderful, and this is going to be more horrible. You got it? Is this, is this coming together? Okay. Are you all ready to proceed? Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. Oh, well, there's so many things, Pete. Yeah. Sure. That's what you see. How, I don't know if y'all can tell from here, but this is green up to the church age. This church, this purple here, is the church age. It's called an intercalation. It means what it is is God took the age of the Jews. Gabriel told Daniel. There's uh, Daniel asked Gabriel. Uh, how many, how, is, does God have anything else for the Jews? Is our time over and done with? And Gabriel told him, no, you're going to have 490 more years of history. And he says, starting with the decree. And we find the decree, in other words, he's going to say, the clock starts ticking of this 490 more years that God is going to give the Jews when the decree is made. And you find that decree in, in, um, Nehemiah chapter 2. That started the clock ticking. And so for 483 years, we have the clock ticking. Then, Daniel chapter 9, it talks about the Messiah coming, coming in what we see as Palm Sunday. 483 years from the time of that decree Guess who came riding into Jerusalem on a colt to the day? Jesus Christ. And people say, oh, well, the Bible's just written by old fogies. So, to the day is when that occurred. And then it talks about uh, Jerusalem, the temple being destroyed. 
And then it talks, that, talks about the man of lawlessness or the, the, the uh, offspring of Satan essentially is going to come. And he talks about the abomination of desolation which is in the middle part. All these things are prophesied, you see. And you have to, this is why not many people know about what I'm teaching is because you have to go all over the Bible and, and get bits and pieces here, 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 and all these, and you get them together, then you can form a timeline like that and it all fits. God expects, at least He expects pastors to dig, put it all together, and then He expects the congregation to concentrate so they can put it together. And you know what happens when the pastor's teaching it, the congregation is getting it, and we all say a collective, wow, that's what's important about eschatology. God wants us to know how great He is and what He's going to do. He's in control. So, Pete, I can't, I'm sorry, I forgot what you were, you were saying. Yeah, I got off on a toot there. Yeah, okay, I remember now. Okay, yeah. All this is for Israel. See, this is where 483 years when the church age began, or right shortly before that, maybe a week before that, at that point, the church age goes on, and as soon as we're out of here, well, actually not as soon as we're out of here, when Antichrist makes a treaty with Israel, there has to be an Israel there, they have to be a nation, which they are as of May 14, 1948. He makes a treaty. Guess what? After all this long time that this clock has been silent, it's going to start going tick, 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 tick. Counting down that seven years. Now, I don't even know if Timex can make that claim like that. Out, out of bounds for, out of work, not working for 2,000 years, and then at the precise moment it starts ticking. That's what's going to start the 70, year, 70 uh, weeks, the 7th of the 70th weeks, which is 7 years, that starts the, the tribulation. Y'all got that now? Okay. Uh, sorry I took that long, but I thought that might be a good little refresher. No, no, I don't mind interruptions. Uh, if you don't know something or you want to get something clarified... Don't hesitate because if you probably there's others out there that are wondering the same thing or just they might not even know that they don't know that that's what they don't know. I'm not going to say it again. <laughs> that's the great white throne. Yeah. See it over here? GTW. Okay, back to Second Thessalonians chapter 2. You see, this will help you as we go through this because all I did for I don't know how long today, and believe me, I have a lot of things to do. I've got... <laughs> I'm just going to tell you this, and it'll be short, just so you'll get a frame of reference what I'm talking about. I have an 80-something-year-old neighbor that's a widow that asked me to plow her garden up. I said, I'd be glad to. The only thing is my tractor has a flat, you know, my big tire on my tractor. I said, I'm going to get it fixed as soon as I get my truck out of the shop. And so I got my truck out of the shop, and now I need to get the, the uh, tractor tire fixed. And... That, I could tell you 15 more things. But anyway, what I did today is my neighbor is going to have to wait. Whatever it is is going to have to wait because I put this first. And I have the, when I'm studying and getting it all straight about the restrainer, you think the Antichrist being revealed was a sticky wicket. Wait till you get to the restrainer. And it. <laughs> You have to go into the original languages. You have to go into systematic theology. You have to read theologians. You put all this together. And I have it together. I'm ready to give it to you. And I've already said, wow. That's what happens when it comes together. But if I, go out to, if I didn't do what I just did, redoing that, you probably would miss a 
critical piece somewhere as I'm teaching about the restrainer. So far we looked at two of the three things that has to happen. It must happen before the day of the Lord begins. The departure and the revealing of Antichrist. And I've made my case that the revealing is at the beginning, not at the midpoint. So we have one phrase left in that verse 3, and I have it up here on the board. The son of destruction. Second Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 3. Let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. That's where we are, the son of destruction. After he has deceived the world into believing he is Messiah and the great peacemaker, which I believe is going to take place after the rapture when everybody is in a big turmoil, he will cause havoc and destruction wherever he goes. He comes on the scene as a peacemaker. Remember last time I told you that a forerunner, a preview of the Antichrist, seen in Daniel chapter 10, I think, uh, was Antiochus Epiphanes, which is a historical figure that came in that period between the time that the canon of Scripture was closed, the Old Testament, and the Jesus Christ came. This is with the period of the Maccabees and so forth. Uh, he entered the temple and did essentially what Antichrist did or will do, and that is he is going to profane the temple. But he started out coming in peace and safety. Well, that's what he was saying. came out as a peacemaker, and then he turned into a Muammar Gaddafi. Worse. <laughs> he took pig's blood and sprinkled it all in the temple, just all kinds of things. So he's going to, he was a peacemaker, he'll be a peacemaker, and then all of a sudden, what, what can you connect with sudden destruction comes? The second seal, it's war. Everybody's going to be saying peace and safety. They're going to believe it. And then somebody will probably start lobbing nukes, maybe. I don't know. There's going to be nuclear warfare. There's no doubt about that. It's described, I think it's in uh, Zechariah. It's talking about people's skin will melt and their eyeballs will melt before they even fall to the ground. I don't know many weapons that can do that other than nuclear. What happened? Okay. However, he will be destroyed when the true Prince of Peace comes to earth. Verse 8 is where we see, see that. He is doomed, and those influenced by him are doomed as well. So he is the son of destruction. He's going to cause a lot of destruction, but he is doomed and those who believe his lies and go along with him are doomed as well. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4. Further information about Antichrist. He's the one who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. What is it that Daniel calls this this in Daniel chapter 9, verse 27. Y'all know? Abomination of desolation. Actually, uh, Daniel says the abomination that makes desolate. But everybody knows that this is talking about the midpoint of the tribulation. And see, when you start connecting the dots, there has to be Jews in the land. There has to be a temple. There is going to be a third temple. Well, how's that going to be? The Dome of Rocks, it's right there. I don't know how it's going to happen, but I guarantee you it's going to happen because Antichrist can't defile the temple unless there is a temple and it is going to be defiled. So the arrogance of this man will, be, will know no limits. From the very beginning, Satan tries to take God's place and he will try to use Antichrist to bring it about as long, at long last. This is what is called self-deification. I've known a few people that fit that description throughout my life, maybe even known one. They thought they were God. The son of perdition will assume the place and claim the name of God. This type of megalomania means claiming full political, military, and religious might. That's what it takes. And he's going to have it. Satan's going to give it to him. 
Satan is going to inspire him, motivate him, giving the power to do all these signs and all. But who is the one that's behind the whole scene bringing it all about? Jesus Christ breaking the seals. And I'm going to keep asking you this. Why is he doing this? I want you to give me two reasons. There's your test question for tonight. Late in the night, I'm giving you a test question. That's right. Two reasons why Christ is going to break the seals and all this horror is going to happen. One, this is what it takes in order to bring Israel to her knees, humble her to finally accept her misery, I mean her Messiah. And two, it's just and right. It's righteous judgment. These are unbelievers, God-hating, grace rejectors. So that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. There will be a future temple in Jerusalem that Antichrist will enter and defile, claiming he's God, demanding every person on earth worship him. This is when you'll have to take, the, not us, but somebody, the people are going to have to take the mark in the hand or the forehead. You can't buy or sell without it. This is when it's really going to get sticky. This is the abomination of desolation mentioned in Daniel 6, 27, Isaiah 14, 14, Ezekiel 28, 2, Daniel 8, 13 and 14, Matthew 24, 15, Revelation 13, 6 through 7. The most he will be able to do is display his, himself as God through tricks and deception. He can never become God. And he's been trying it even before the first man and woman was created. He wanted to be God. And he hasn't stopped. He's still trying. Talk about tenacity. And then he says, this is verse 5, Do you not remember that while I was still with you, I was telling you these things? What is this? It's another rebuke, isn't it? He's saying, why are you deceived? I told you all this. This seems to be a mild rebuke. The things that Paul had already taught them were sufficient to refute this false teaching about the day of the Lord. I was telling is an imperfect active indicative. Yeah, I ought, to, I ought to ask one of these two guys to stand up and explain what that is. But I won't do it. I'm just thinking about it. <laughs> but they can do it. It's the imperfect tense that is a little bit unusual. The imperfect tense is when there's action that's going on in the past and it's not completed. In other words, it was ongoing. And so he's saying, I was telling you. I kept on telling you. And it didn't say that it finished. I guess as long as he was there, he kept telling them about this. And now he's, he's saying, don't you remember that? He no doubt taught them with much more detail than he did here. And this was just a reminder. You understand that? He, he, in the next phrase, I'm, I'm going to end. I'm just gonna, what I'm going to do now is what's your appetite, okay? Everything. I'm just getting to the part that I spent all day on. This happens so many times. Not yet, this verse 6. Um, Paul wasn't with the Thessalonians very long, but he still gave them in-depth teaching concerning things to come, eschatology, uh, is important even to new believers. Remember, that's how I started tonight. Okay, this is what is a preview of next time. Just We'll just start it with verse 6. We're getting into the restrainer. Or not to, I'm just introducing it tonight. I'll just tell you one thing about this verse. But there are things about the restrainer, there are arguments out there that I'm going to refute, and I would imagine that most of you don't even know that these arguments are there. But first, I'll introduce it this way. Look what the verse says. It says, And you know what restrains him now, so that in his time he may be revealed. What? You see what he's saying? He's talking about the restrainer that has to be removed. And you know what he's telling him? You know who it is. I told you. But he's not telling us. That's the problem. <laughs> And from this, just from this, it looks like it's a, it's, and you know what restrains him now. That sounds like it's a thing and not a person. 
The only problem is you get to the next verse and it says he used a personal pronoun to get it a little bit more jumbled up. And all this has bearing on what we're going to be looking at. So I'll give you about three different scenarios of people or places or things, not places but things, that this could be. And some people are dogmatic one way or the other. But the reason that I'm going to go into some detail as to what some people or who they say it is, and I'm going to show it can't be that, because you know what is going to influence your thinking on who or what this restrainer is? is? You know what's going to influence it? Your determination as to when the day of the Lord begins. That is what will determine it. Now, that might not make a lot of sense to you right now, but Tuesday, Lord willing, it'll come together and you'll see why. There are certain people think that it's a certain person and they have that thinking because they think it's going to come in the middle of the, middle of the seven years. And I'm going to show it can't be that person, but it might be somebody else or something else and that's as far as I go. You have to come back. You know, I don't know. I just, I just love teaching the Word. I can be tired. I can be mentally and physically exhausted. But when I start teaching the Word, it is just invigorates me. I just love doing it. I hope you love hearing it as much as I love teaching it because it just, it just lights my fire. I love doctrine. I love it because it's true. And because God wants us to have it, and if you don't have it, you, you, you're going to have a hard road to hoe. And He gives us time after time, slice after slice, another piece of that divine manna from heaven, and it tastes like honey to me. Let's close. Father, we are so thankful for who and what You are and that You have revealed these great and mighty things to us. How could we know how wonderful you are and how majestic and how powerful apart from you letting us know? And even then, we rely on the Holy Spirit to pull it all together for us to understand this spiritual phenomenon. But you do it all for us because you love us to that degree and more. So we pray that you will help us to have proper appreciation for what you've done for us and not be distracted by the mundane things of this life. But you, rise, you, you raise us up on the solid rock of the written and living Word so that we can see wonders that we didn't even know existed. We thank you for this and we pray it all in Christ's most high and holy name. Amen.